0: your line of questioning isn't it, it isn't uh, conducive to a good interview
1: why is that it just isn't it's not going anywhere you're asking me this, this it's it's this is what's wrong with that line of question it's unfair
0: right listen hmm. if you if you want to sort it out me. you didn't find me you could have fought me and you didn't if you want to find here i am let's have a fight let's do it on the
1: cobbles if you want forget boxing let's do it outside When I fought Hatton, I knocked Hatton out with ten-hours gloves on. Stepping back when he was undefeated. In yeah, my time, I spanked him. Yeah, how did he going to be as equally talented as me? Are you serious? As easy as I beat him, I could have beat him while playing checkers on the other side. That's how easy <laughs> that was. And he better than us? Are you serious, James? No, no. Tony? They call me the problem, but you could call me the can man, because anybody can get it. Americans, Americans, Dominicans, Mexicans, anybody can get
0: it. And welcome to another episode of Beyond Boxing. This one I think you guys will enjoy. It's Greg Hackett. We get a lockdown catch up. We understand how he survived lockdown. We also understand how he's enjoyed being involved in the bubble in boxing. And I think that's a really interesting take. And for all you you trainers, you fighters that have boxed in a bubble, this might be an interesting comparison for you guys. So enjoy this. Now, there's loads of really good content. Like, we we struggled a bit with the audio because I had to catch him between finishing up in the gym and then I think he had to go meet some friends in a shisha lounge. They call it hookah in the States, but you understand. But it's a fantastic episode. Please, if you enjoy the content, follow Greg, one of the funniest people in boxing, at hackett 86 on Instagram. Just Follow And he will. He'll, he'll speak to you. He loves talking boxing, so if you've got time to talk boxing, he'll answer your questions. He's a really interesting guy, knows his stuff. I think it's a good episode. Bear with the audio quality. We're going to make it as good as we can, and please enjoy. So, Greg, how are you? Tell me.
1: Oh, man, I've been okay, man, you know, with all the different circumstances we have going on, but um, boxing is back, not 100%, but for the most part, I, you know, I feel good. So how have you survived 2020? To- Oh, um, honestly, I really don't even know because so many people have been paying attention to the news that, uh, you know, half the world is scared. And I'm not used to that. You know, I like to just do what I do every day. So even during this 2020 corona situation, I've still been in the gym, even though I wasn't supposed to, you know, but I was in the gym the whole time.
0: I think, to be honest with you, that's that's kind of where we all are. You know, I think when you've been in boxing long enough, it actually becomes your happy place. Like you can do anything else on the outside, but it's like when yeah. you come to the gym, everything makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's a different world, man. And it, and it, and it, honestly, it's like I felt like I would get sick if I wasn't in the gym, you know. And I know that sounds funny, but that's just that's just how I felt about it. Like, damn, if I try to sit home, I'm gonna go crazy. You know what I mean? Sitting home.
0: Hundred percent. Do you catch yourself doing that crazy shit, like just shadow boxing in the strangest of places? You're know,
1: just because yeah. you got the energy in you. Yeah, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Just start shadow boxing, slipping punches. You know what I mean? Just pretending you got somebody in front of you. Mm. And it's crazy because I was just having that conversation with somebody like like without this, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> no, it's it's been hard. So I I look at it and I go,
0: Master July was tough because I'm I'm a gym rat by nature. I love I love sport. I love being competitive. So when I didn't have that You know what? What you really have is a lot of time with yourself. So a lot of long walks. I was probably doing about, I reckon, about ten kilometers a day, just walking. And you know when you, when you get to surround yourself with your own thoughts, actually you get to process a lot of stuff that you've put to the side. So it was interesting for me in that sense of being able to clear my head on a personal level, like emotionally revisiting things from when you you know you're coming up, but also from a boxing perspective. Like my my view on training hasn't moved 180 degrees, but a lot of things I used to believe, I'm now like, ah, I'm not so sure now. You know, like because right. one of the examples is strength and conditioning. So I'm even less of an advocate of strength and conditioning having been through this lockdown. Right. It's it's something we don't do in boxing and I don't think we understand it in boxing. You know, as an example, I I got to know this guy on Instagram, a guy called Jim Wendler, ex strongman, and he's a He's a big advocate of changing your training as you get older. So he talked me through his program. It's called a 5 3 Essentially just the number of reps that you do of an exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I, went, I went from benching. I'll just do it in kilograms so it makes sense. I went from benching 80, and I struggled to bench 80, to benching 140 before the lockdown. Like mm. just eating and just listening to his principles and how to train. And then I thought to myself – this is the least amount of reps I've ever had to do in training. So what the hell are all these boxes doing? If if they're there saying, I need a full strength and conditioning session. It's it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. It definitely is. It's it's really about tricking the mind. You know what I mean? You're trying to make the fighter believe or well, the fighter is trying to make himself believe that he's he's put enough work in and he's definitely ready. And you know, and they, and the only only reason these ideas pop up in guys heads is because they're watching other fighters. So it, it just pops up in their head. And then they're telling themselves that these guys are doing these things every day when
0: they're not. 100%. Uh, and one of the other things is, I always say, if you only have one hour to train, work on your skills. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of guys are working on running and lifting. And it's like, well, there's no point in you running and there's no point in you lifting if you don't know when you're fighting. But your yeah. skills, that's an investment for this year, next year, and the year after. Right. Absolutely. But no, it's it's been it's been an experience because now in the UK we're into our our second lockdown now, so it's not as not as crazy as the first one because I think we're used to it now, so we kind of know the the secret escapes and how to how to manage it. But it means the gyms are shut again, so it's it's just frustrating. Right. And then I'm trying to think, just from a lockdown perspective, because you know you've been pretty active. <laughs> it's crazy because I think. You've probably done more boxing in the bubble than most people I know, like in terms of... <laughs> how many have you done, two or three? Four. Jesus.
1: Yeah, I've got one with Josef ortiz uh, one with Paul Kroll and two with Raheem Justin Jr.
0: And one of them was the PBC. Were the other three top rank, or was it 2-2? Two, two?
1: Yeah, one PBC and three top... I mean, yeah, one PBC and three top rank.
0: So here's what I'm I'm gonna dive all the way in because I I'm I'm curious about this. What what is boxing in the bubble like? What what was it like for you on a day to day basis?
1: I mean we we kind of we kind of looked at it as like house arrest, you know what I mean? You everywhere you go has to be, you know, you have to be uh, under some type of. Um, I'm sorry, I'm looking for the word, but you got you got people watching you, you know what I mean? You got you got people walking you to the elevators. You got security guards walking to the elevators. Um, once you get down to the elevator, like, for top rank, if you want to go get some food, you've got to take, like, a little, a small van over to the uh, to the venue where they host the fight, which is only 100 yards away from the actual hotel. And then uh, once you eat, you can only, uh, you can bring food and stuff back, but you can only uh, be out for a few just to eat. And then once you come back, you back in your room. And the only, the only real excitement that you have is like having fun with your uh, your team, you know what I mean, inside the room, you know.
0: Wow. So, so there was no no leaving the reservation, so to speak. You couldn't go anywhere.
1: No, like like for like for uh, top rank, they let they allow you to go out on the strip and stuff like that. Only only when you arrive and when uh, once you once you take your corona test, then you're allowed to go. I mean, then you have to stay in. Now after the fight. You can go on the strip, but you can't bring anybody back to your hotel room unless you get a a hotel room on a different floor.
0: So that's a hundred percent strict. They enforce that.
1: Yeah, they're not playing around either, because they even caught a guy. They even caught a guy on. I forgot whose team it was, but they caught the guy gambling, and you know they kicked him out of the bubble.
0: Because I know in the UK, it's you know they they talk about boxing's in a bubble, but people have been seen out and about. So there's the announcer, David Diamante, who was seen out and about, literally (laughs) on a night out when he's supposed to be, you know, self-isolating. It's been, I don't think they took it as seriously here. Was it different for the PBC or was it the same process for the PBC bubble?
1: Now, PBC, you couldn't do anything. You couldn't really do anything. You you had to stay in your room. If you wanted something from a store or something like that, you basically had to, like, build a relationship with the guys who's working for PBC? and then you know if you're cool enough they'll go to the store for you but i mean that was about it every the food the food and everything was at a certain time. you know what i mean so you had to get your breakfast lunch and dinner at a certain time you could take back food back to your room but that was about it and and they shut the hotel down and they used one elevator strictly for the fighters and stuff like that
0: so so it was. So in America, it was taken really seriously. Were you allowed to eat together, or was it literally right? Everyone's got to be two meters apart.
1: Yeah, we could we could eat together, but the thing was, it was like, you know, they were just trying to trying to keep everything at the minimum as far as space. You know what I mean? As far as people, they didn't want too many people around each other at one time.
0: So 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 here's why I'm gonna ask because you know normally fight week there's the. There's a press conference. There's sometimes the public workouts. There are all these events that we have in the build-up to a fight, which you can't really do in the bubble. So, how does that throw the the preparation off, or was that not a factor?
1: Um, honestly, honestly, I like it. I like it because you get more time to focus. You don't have to keep moving around because sometimes those things can become a pain in the ass when you have to do uh, when you have to do press conferences over and over, where you got to do like press conference. And then you got to do um, a, a, a media day, stuff like that. Sometimes that can wear you out as a fighter and as a team. So it was good to just get rest. You know what I mean? If you didn't to shake out, they did allow us for uh, the top-ranked card. They did allow us to go to the hotel gym for, for a couple hours. You know what I mean? Get the shit a little bit of weight off.
0: So, yeah. Do you think this is going to carry on, or do you think we'll just go back to the normal razzmatazz when when all of this eases up? Because from what you've said, it seems. And if I think from a boxing perspective, you'd rather not have all that nonsense that goes into getting those last you know last viewers interested in the fight. You'd rather just get from from camp into the fight and out as with as least right. stress as possible.
1: Yeah, I think I think uh, by I'm gonna say next June. Everything will be back to normal. Now, the one thing I think they're going to try to enforce and keep is the mask thing, wearing the mask. I think they're going to try to keep that going for a little while.
0: I think that's the way the world's going. It's I think so. There's an expression someone used, and they said, "If you want to know what the West will be like in ten years' time, look at China today." And mm. it seems to be that way. The you know we're now adopting the masks we're adopting this whole thing of being able to track and trace people. And, you know, I know there's some conspiracy theorists out there that talk about this as a new world order, but it just seems that that's how it's going. And you almost wonder how are we living before? If we're now washing our hands, wearing masks when we're sick, how were we living before? You know,
1: right. It's crazy. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely nonsense to me. I don't like it, but you know, we got to do what we got to do. But I suspect that,
0: so you you've actually been really busy in the lockdown. So, <laughs> and I and I enjoy hearing this because you've had four four trips in. I want to say how many wins was that? I know Paul won. Uh, uh, we won we won each fight. Oh, so four four wins, no losses. Yeah, that's good work. When did you do the Fulton fight? I swear you did a Fulton fight as well.
1: Oh, uh, that was last December. Ah, yeah. That, I, when Danny when Danny when Danny fought Redcoy. Uh, he fought the the, the guy uh, I forgot his name, Keggy, Arnold Keggy, and that was on the undercard.
0: Yeah. has Fulton been out since the lockdown, or is he inactive?
1: Well, he actually he was supposed to fight a few months ago, and he uh, actually came up positive with the COVID, so he wasn't able to fight. And then uh, I think I think he might have something coming within December. And then
0: just, just so I want to take a step back. How has it been training people with the, with the whole lockdown restriction? Because I see some guys wear the masks. Some guys don't wear the masks. Some guys wear the, the see-through visor, you know, as a trainer, do you just get used to that? Or is it just a, like an irritation?
1: Well, the mask thing for me is an irritation. Um, I, I'd rather work without it. Um, but the training has been has been okay. The only thing I didn't like is it set it set a few of my guys back who were who I felt like were working really hard, getting shape, and to, you know to, to continue fighting, and it kind of set them back, and because they kind of believed what was going on, and they gained weight stuff like
0: that. A hundred percent. I've been I've been disappointed from a UK perspective, and how many people just turned the engines off. As soon as the lockdown was announced, people just literally just went, right, I'm not doing anything. And then when the gyms opened again, you didn't really see them. Because, you know, they were like, well, if I don't have a fight to train for, what am I doing? And it's like, well, you should be working on your skills at all times. You know, right. Perfecting your craft. And a lot of people didn't. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough
1: for a lot of people.
0: And it's also been tough because, you know, there are a lot of guys who made a career on selling tickets, but you can't sell tickets now. So they, they effectively don't have careers unless, you know, by some miracle they're, they're exciting fighters and then they get the television gig. Yeah. And in that sense, I think, because I've watched from afar, I've, I've loved the fact that you've been in the bubble so often because, you know, like, I, we, we talked off air about this, but I said when we first did our show, probably about a year ago actually, you know, I got a lot of response with "Who is this guy?" And now, you know, I'm able to say, "Look, when a guy's on, on four shows in a in the bubble across two different promoters, he's he's making he's making steps in the right direction."
1: <laughs> yes, yes, sir.
0: Now, so I'm trying to think about what else we've been we've been talking about. Have you struggled with? with just planning because I, I, I do this now because normally like as a trainer in your head you're thinking a year down the line so you're saying right we need to be at this point this time next year here's everything we need to do in order to do that and then you've got guys now with with no real motivation because from my perspective when the lockdown happened I said to a lot of guys take four weeks off everyone just take four weeks off and let your body and mind heal. Because you know what boxers are like. That whole no days off mentality. Right. And so a lot of guys did. Took four weeks off. And the body was telling them. We're going to take this time to repair. Because suddenly all the aches and pains catch up with you. Because you don't have the adrenaline going through. And so we've had to, we've had to manage that development going forward. And I think just back to what I was saying before. It's about new ways of training. And I've just realized over the time. It's, it's not about how much training you can do. Is about how much training you can recover from. And it's different for everybody. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. There's some guys who can spar 12 rounds, have a good night's sleep, do another 12 rounds the next day. There's some guys that need two or three days to recover. That's true. And a lot of trainers would train them the same way. So then one guy starts to break down and people say he's weak, but it's actually, he's, he's not designed for
1: that. Right. That's absolutely true. And what else?
0: Are you doing any community style training? So for like non-pros or non-competitive amateurs, is that still happening in Philly?
1: Um, you know what's crazy? I've been getting more calls about that type. You know the client type. Um, this whole time, so I actually, I actually made up in my mind to just go ahead and start doing it because it was, it was, it was like I couldn't get away from it anyway.
0: One hundred percent, and hopefully that becomes a, a lucrative sideline for you as well. So when's your next one? When's the next show coming up then for you?
1: Um, I I think we might not be moving out till January, like the mid-January or early January, because actually I got to take my amateurs to a national tournament down in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, the fifth of December.
0: What tournament's that?
1: That's the uh, Western qualifiers or something like that.
0: Okay. Wow. And so they're still doing amateur shows in the in the United States.
1: yeah, they definitely throwing amateur shows. The amateur show has been back for a nice little while,
0: because so. everything here is written off like it's 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 painful, yeah, yeah it's written off so when when the, when the young guys are saying, "When do you think boxing will be back?" I'm telling them probably the other side of Easter realistically yeah because the challenge you've got over here, Greg, is our officials are about you know average age is about 65 so you don't really right. want those guys in a venue poor air conditioning um bodily fluids shooting everywhere you don't really want that it's not it's not safe for them and we don't have enough young officials now to to take their place
1: right so that's, that's interesting. Yeah.
0: But yeah so you got you got kids now trying to prepare for the 2021 olympics and it's like oh well, are you going to be ready? Because you, a lot of guys wouldn't have fought in 2020. And you go into 2021, you're not going to get the fights in you to get yourself conditioned to do the Olympics. Right. You know, I, I, I caused controversy when I said I'd actually just cancel the whole British boxing team. I would. I'd write it off for four years. I'd, I'd save the money and I'd give it to the grassroots clubs and say, look, Give us a new yeah. generation of champions. Because we're not, we're not going to win medals next year. We're, just, we're not physically prepared
1: to do that. Right. Yeah, especially if you don't got any action going on. But I think they, I think they
0: canceled the entire Olympics. Uh, 2021 should still happen as things stand. Because remember, the, the, I think one of the challenges they've got, Japan sunk billions into this. So if they don't have an event, I don't think you get that money back. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I don't know how you pull back. Was it $10 billion they'll have to pull back? So I okay. think that they'll find a way to make it happen. If you remember, they, they took their time in canceling this Olympics because they wanted to make sure that nothing could happen. I got you. Yeah, so, so post-lockdown, I want to just get your view on this, and I'm going to ask you the question. You know, and you can apply your, your expert boxing knowledge. Why have there been so many upsets since, since the lockdown lifted? Because a lot of fights be- between A-siders and B-siders have been closer than we expected them to be. And in some cases, people have lost. I know in the UK, for example, a lot of guys who were expected to win have lost. A lot of guys that were expected to look good have looked bad. And, you know, it doesn't follow normal boxing logic. So, my theory, I've got one theory on this, and it's it takes a long time to learn how to take body shots. And if you don't take body shots for five or six months due to lockdown, for example, it takes you a long time to relearn how to take them. And then people get surprised because they think because they've got abs, they can take a body shot, but it's a, it's about a lot more than that, which we don't realize it's a, it's a learned skill. Right. right. So just based on what you've seen, how come you think that there've been so many results where we've gone, ah, oh, I didn't expect that to happen.
1: Well, I think one reason is because you don't have the, you don't have the crowd to excite you. You don't have the crowd to get your adrenaline going. Um, then you fight in, in a smaller. They might make it look like a nice size, but it's actually smaller venues. They're, they're, they're fighting in like ballrooms, stuff like that. And then, um, the, the the opponent, the b side guy, is more focused because you don't have nobody pointing them. You don't have nobody putting in his head you know this guy's strong and you're up against whoever he's more so focused because he just he's there to fight so i think it's actually great for boxing the results we've been getting but at the same time you know i mean it's actually messing with some guy's head but it's showing you who's tough enough and, and who's not because if you can't handle it maybe boxing just ain't for you overall
0: no, 100%. And, and just from what you've seen, has the judging been fair? Because in the UK, like we've gone into absolute meltdown about how poor the judging's been and kind of how poor the refereeing's been. So there's, there's one judge in particular, a guy here called Terry O'Connor. And yeah. whenever there's a what you can call a money fighter, so a guy who's having a, a marked time fight until he has the big fight, no matter how bad right. he is. So we had a guy called Lewis Ritson fighting Miguel Vasquez. And Vasquez, I'm sure you know Miguel Vasquez, he just did what he normally does, right? Just steals the rounds by just working on the outside, behind the jab, did what he was supposed to do. Looked like a comfortable win to everyone else. And this guy scored it 118-110 to the the money guy. Like, like it, it made no sense. And then there was a picture of him allegedly holding a mobile phone while the fight was happening. He wasn't even looking at the action. Wow. Like it's terrible. Like you know, you guys think you got problems with Adelaide Bird. We've got real problems over here.
1: <laughs> I was in I was actually in a bubble with Adelaide Bird too. I've seen her a couple of times.
0: You speak to her. What what what's Adelaide Bird like?
1: Uh, she's a, I she's mean, she's a lady, polite lady. Um she's real nice. If you speak to her, she'll speak back, stuff like that, kinda kinda to herself, but she's very aware too. She she watches you know what I mean she pays attention to a lot so I mean I don't really judge her you know even though even though I've seen some of the calls she made was you know very unfair but I don't really judge her for that but you know as far as meeting her she's a good person
0: <laughs> and then just just touch it so so how are things in Philly um you, you guys getting shows at the 2300 or is that all quiet for
1: now I actually just had one uh we actually just we had a show there Saturday night Uh, It did pretty good, too. The ticket sales went up a little bit, but, you know, it was good to have back in the the city, you know?
0: Yeah. You going to drop the weight to make a comeback?
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to take a few more fights.
0: Which weight category,
1: though? Uh, I think I'll come back at 68 and then work it back down.
0: Listen, honestly, stay in shape, because you might get a call from Eddie Hearn.
1: That would, I would
0: love that. <laughs> I think his thing at the moment is anyone who's in shape and is ready, you know what I mean? Because did you follow the thing that happened with this guy, Christopher Lovejoy?
1: No, I, I heard that name too. That's
0: the crazy part. So so Christopher Lovejoy, I love this. He's a heavyweight. Um, I think he's based out of Florida. He's, he's, I think he's been in some Shannon Briggs videos before, training out of that gym they all go to in Hollywood, Florida. So, This guy guy compiles a 19 0 record. I think it's virtually all knockouts, right? But he's been fighting in nightclubs and bars in Tijuana. Like, (laughs) he has no record. His record has no opponents that anyone knows. He gets a call from Eddie Hearn. Obviously, he gets a call from Eddie Hearn, and Eddie says, Right, we need you to come over to fight a guy over here called Dave Allen. So, Dave Allen is he's like a KSI or Logan Paul, but he can box. You know, he's, he's famous on social media, but he's a real boxer. He's a real, you know, real boxer. Um, I think he's only been stopped a couple of times, like Luis Ortiz. Actually, yeah. Only a few times. He's tough. He's as tough as they come. And you know, okay. real throwback fighter. When you, when you see him, his style's is a real throwback style. Not very good, but it, well, not very good, but yeah, you know, he has his moments. So they fly this guy over and, he comes to the UK and he doesn't seem to be taking it seriously at all. So I'm watching this going, Jesus, who is this guy? Two days what? before the fight, Don King phones Eddie Hearn and says, I've got this kid under contract. He cannot fight. And what? yeah, Don King came out of nowhere. Like it was like a real nostalgia trip for Don King to be screwing up someone else's fights.
1: Right.
0: So now the kid can't fight. So he, he's, had a, he's had a week's holiday in London like, the guy's done no training like, there's no footage of him training, there's no footage of him warming up, there's no footage of him sweating right? Right. and he's flown business class to London had a week in London, flown business class back <laughs> and then it goes to show if you're in shape and you're ready and you make enough noise then I mean, you'll get that Eddie Hearn call because he's desperate to make these shows stick I think most promoters will do anything to get the shows going now because they need the money yeah, that's true. That's so, yeah. true. Yeah, stay in shape. One, six, eight. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure we'll find someone for you over here. I would love that. <laughs> did you watch the the Teofimo-Lomachenko fight? Yes, I did. Great fight. Let's get the Greg Hacker breakdown of that fight.
1: I mean, um, we got two great fighters. Both of them, I felt like, was in great shape. And then Jeffrey was ready. The thing, the thing was, uh, after paying attention to it a couple times, looking at the fight, I felt like Chico really wasn't ready for Tufiemo's approach. I thought he thought that C. Fimo would approach him like everybody else, everybody else does, with his, as a big old mystery, and he always watching him to see what he throws and see what he's getting ready to do. But Tufiemo came out, you know, foot on the gas, popping his jab and firing that right hand. Even though he wasn't landing 100% clean, he was putting up on his shots that Chico uh, felt that, you know, hold on, I, I think I should take a few rounds off to let this guy slow down. The problem was he wasn't slowing down. Now, once Tia Fimo, I mean, once Chico uh, started fighting back, I felt like it was too late. And he did a good job counterpunching and scoring. But Tia Fimo's, uh his, his blood was rushing, man. He was, he was just ready to go. He was the more hungry of the two. And, um, I mean, he just kept it going. But the smartest thing that I felt like he did was step on the gas for the 12th round. Even though the 11th round, I think he lost, Tia Fimo. But he stepped on the gas for the, for the 12th round and kind of proved that he wanted to win. So I think that, well, that's what won him that fight. And, you know, that that was just an all-around great fight.
0: Do you know the thing I love the most about that fight? And when I look, I had to go and watch it back as well. You saw someone who had prepared for Lomachenko, like you know when you can see that they've they've studied the guy for years because they did the one thing that everyone else had failed to do. They stopped Loma going to his right hand side. So every time Lopez would just step left, he'd step left jab, step left, and then throw that kind of swinging right hand. And suddenly Lomachenko thought, "I can't get to that side I want to get to," and and so the fight turned when Loma was able to get to that right-hand side because then he could let his backhand go. And I thought Lopez was super smart. And the Lomachenko corner didn't react until the end of round six when they were like, this ain't working. And by then it was too late for Lomachenko. But the thing I really liked about Lopez, and here's why I'm really high on Lopez, he came out in that 12th round and said, I'm not leaving this to the judges. Right. And he, he stamped his authority on that 12th round, saying, This can't be anything but a 10 9 round to me at the very minimum. And I think a lot of young fighters can learn from that because you've got to empty your tank in that round and say, Listen, there's nothing else after this. And he fought with that mindset, which exactly. you, you have to respect. And you can't, you can't train that, I don't think. You've either got that hunger or you haven't. That's true, too. you got to be hungry.
1: And I think, and I think that was one of the big factors because if you think about it, Lomachenko has been winning for a long time. He's been an amateur standout, and he's been he's been famous almost as a pro even before his first fight. You know, they were putting us on notice about him. So it's kind of like when you got that kind of uh, fame, and you got and, and you and those kind of accolades, it's kind of like, well, what else can I do in boxing? Because looking at a guy like Fimo, he wasn't. He didn't really respect Tiafimo. He thought Tiafimo was just any old guy. And I felt like that's how he went about his training camp. He, which, which doesn't mean he didn't train hard. I think he trained hard, but he didn't train for Tiafimo. I think he trained for the fact, like, okay, this is just going to be another guy. I'm going to outsmart him and I'm going to beat him. But such wasn't the case. It's that lack
0: of fear. Um, I was talking to a friend earlier today about. This and we're talking about society in general, to be honest, Greg. And we're saying that fears become a bad thing in the world. You know, when you see young kids now and kids say, "I've got anxiety" or "I'm having panic attacks," and and sometimes it's genuine. Like, let's not let's not downplay that. But most of the time in in England, what we call it is you're just shitting yourself, right? And it's that's allowed to happen. Like, I remember, I remember in the amateur days, right? We we used to have a stable of guys in the gym and like some guys went on to become like British champions. And so it was a really good stable and you'd be told, right, Thursday sparring, everyone bringing their gear. Right. And for, for two days, Greg, you're scared. You're like, Jesus, how many rounds are we doing? Right. You would. And even when you showed up at the gym, you, you, you're there going, ah, everyone's here. Shit. <laughs> and, and your head is telling you, you can walk out. At all times, you listen, man, you can walk out. Don't worry about these people. They don't matter, man. Like In the big scheme of things, who's going to care? But it's that ability to go, no, 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 no. If they're going in the gym and they're going into that ring, I'm going to do the same thing. And then once you're in there, you're fine. And I think a lot of people nowadays run away from that fear. And maybe Lomachenko just didn't have that fear because it's Teofimo Lopez. And it's not not a killer in there. And I think maybe sometimes you've got to train with that fear. Yeah, you do.
1: I mean, like, that's what I was saying. He's been around... He's been around for so long, and he's been up the boat so much. I think he really just didn't respect... Respect Teofimo, and he should have, because is a dangerous guy, but it, it, to him, it was just another fighter. You know what I mean? It was just like, all right, got another guy for me, I think he can beat me.
0: Had you had any... Had you seen Teofimo coming up, or is it just... You've just seen him on TV? Because... Cause he's what from Brooklyn, and I know a lot of guys travel between Philly and New York to to get the sparring or well, for tournaments.
1: Yeah, he's from. I mean, he's uh, from Brooklyn, but to be honest, I never, I've never seen him or heard of him. You know what I mean? Until he came out. You know what I mean? I think I heard about him a little bit until he turned before he turned pro because they was making a big deal about how he had to go enter the, the Olympics from uh, Honduras or something like that. He couldn't, you know, he, he didn't qualify in America. So he, he entered from, like, Honduras or something like that. But that was the most I ever heard of him. I never really knew who he was. Because he's the same generation as Paul Kroll, right? Uh, Just about, yeah. Paul, Paul was in the 2016. Yeah, he made the 2016 team. So, yeah, I think Tia Fimo comes from that same uh, year.
0: Yeah, it's that, it's that same kind of talent pool, I imagine, that they were all, like, up in Colorado together. Yeah, Exactly. That's turning into a, a surprisingly good like intake, actually. Slowly but surely, you're watching all these... That, that American 2016 team, even though it didn't really meddle that well, but you're looking at it now. Yeah. You're like Shakur, then you've got you got Teofimo doing his thing now. Paul Kroll looks like, I mean, he might be able to do something himself. I know he had, if I'm, wrong, if I'm wrong with this, feel free to correct me, but I know he had legal trouble in and around that time, and so he's been rebuilding for the last couple of
1: years. You know, trying to make up yeah. lost time. Yep, he had some he had some legal trouble, you know. But but you know, be, because he's a good kid, and he really didn't play a major part. He you know he got off, and I think that was the right thing to do because he didn't you know he didn't intentionally hurt anybody or anything like that.
0: Because then some, I, I, I swear I heard it somewhere. Like he was like a like an honor roll
1: student. He was so he's a pretty intelligent guy. Yeah, he was a good he was. He was, a, he was a good kid, you know. He still is a good kid. And he works hard, you know what I mean. He's an electrician, you know what I mean. He he does a lot of things that you wouldn't think a fighter would even do or try. But you know what I mean. He just I don't know. Paul's all around good person, man. For real, for real. he looks out he looks out for the youth. Um, I mean, he he's he's all day he's spending his time like helping people. That's really I actually to be real, hundred percent honest. I got to kind of be on him about being in the gym. Not because he's not in the gym, but it's like, yo, I like to do things at a certain time. So with my pro fighters and my advanced amateurs, I like to get them in the gym early. And my and then because I got a group of kids and I got like, you know, soccer moms and stuff like that that come in the afternoon. So I like to get my, my advanced fighters in the gym early. And sometimes Paul's, you know, he's running around, he's doing all types of stuff. But, you know, good guy though.
0: No, 100%. I saw the, was it the Santa Maria fight?
1: Yes. Yeah. No. you look He look
0: promising there. It's that's another exciting welterweight to come out of Philadelphia. So it's him and Jerome Ennis now.
1: Yeah, that's going to be great, man. I like. I like that we got two two guys that's um, you know going to be going to be top guys pretty soon in the in the division coming from the same city. I like to look to
0: that. No, and I love the fact that you know there's this thing among Philly fighters where they're proud to be from Philly. Like, there's a real. And yeah, they make a point of, I do this for my city, Philadelphia. This, Jesse Hart's the same. Yeah, that's true. You got Laurie. That's there. because there's it, so, so much fighting going on in the city, you know? Yeah, look, I'll go back to that first episode we did where you broke it down and you just said, you can't walk into a gym in Philadelphia if you weren't fighting on the street. Like, you have to have that mindset before you can even walk into a gym in Philadelphia. And it forced me to look at the United Kingdom differently because, and tell me if it's the same in Philly, like there's a real problem in this country and it's not just boxing and sport in general. Kids don't have the running in their legs. So I talked to a friend of mine. He's a, he's a, he's a PT in the army. So he, he takes the guys who are meant to become our, our officers of the future and he trains them for a year at a place called Sandhurst. It's, mm-hmm. it's like West Point in the United Kingdom. Okay. And what he was saying was, the kids now, haven't got the running in their legs. So if you tell them to run three miles, that's a real struggle for them. But like when we were coming up, because we grew up running around and playing sport, we can run three miles comfortably. I can still run three miles now, even if I haven't been trained. Because you never lose that. It's like the muscle memory. You never lose the, 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 the ability to do that. Whereas these kids now, because they don't exercise as much, they don't have right. that, that, that innate fitness or that innate strength. And this is why you see the strength and conditioning thing taking off because a lot of these kids, they're not doing things outside. They're not lifting rocks or they're not, they're not doing the things that the old guys used to do. So if you look at Joe Frazier, like he's from a sharecropping family. you know He's from a manual labor background. And I think we're losing that in sport. And that's why we're having to get these guys in with their weird exercises for strength and conditioning.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's like it's like because nowadays you got everything to to distract you. You know what I mean? With the food and all the fashion and there's just so much stuff going on that people don't even think about working out or even just staying in any type of shape or just playing sports anything. It's like they just it's like people just want to just be caught up on what what's like uh popular at the time.
0: But look at but look at how many Instagram pages are about people in gyms or people wanting to be in gyms or people eating, you go, well, fitness Mm -hmm. is an important thing, but it's almost like people realize this after it's too late. Like the time to really think about fitness is when you're young, you know, that's when you put the investment in. And from a boxing perspective, I say this to youngsters, don't worry about the gym when you're uh, like, when you are under 18 and you're learning to box, don't worry about the gym, worry about your skills and your technique because you can always get strong. That's, that's easy. Being right, school, right? that's a lot harder. And it's better to do it when your brain's more receptive to learning.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right
0: about that. 100%. Something just popped in. I was going to ask you this quickly. Who's that Haitian kid? Um, his dad's got the... Oh, I can't even remember. Jesus. There's a kid. Haitian. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Li- Celine Bay. Yeah, yeah, the little kid with the crazy skills.
1: Yeah, Celine Bay. He can fight. How old is he? He's, uh, I think he just turned 13. A few months back. Jesus.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. I think you shared one of his Instagram posts, and I was like,
1: that kid's really doing yeah. all of that? Yeah, he's a monster. Yeah, he, and the thing is about him, he, people, think, people think that his father, like, forces him to do things, like... Really, really, he doesn't even have to ask because I remember one time his dad was uh, working with some other kids in the gym, and the kids just continued training on his own. It was crazy. So I'm like, I'm like, because I know most kids would have just they would have just went and sat down somewhere or tried to hide or you know what I mean get out the way or something. But their kid just kept training. I'm like, yeah, he he's a natural, you know.
0: They're the ones, man. You know where they're self directed and they do it because they enjoy it. You can't. You can't yeah. replace it. That's when you, that's when you, you develop, like when, when you're doing something you love. Yeah. So I'll, be, I'll definitely be looking that's out for him because he, he, looked, he looked a lot more than decent, that's for sure. Yeah, he's a monster. So, so here's my question for you. you got to pick one. Who will be sat at the top of the tree? Teofimo, Devin, um, Ryan Garcia, or who's the other dude? And who's the, who's the fourth one? I'm Tank going to put Yeah, we'll put Tank in there. Okay. So who, who's who, the number one? Who Who do you think, we'll give it two years, who do you think will be at the top of that pile?
1: Oh, shit. I mean, in two years, that's a that's tough in two years, but um, because I see, in two years, I see Tia Fimo going up to 140 and I see Tank uh, taking over 35 and I, see, I also see Haney moving up to 40. But, I see Haney staying away from Tiafimo, and I mean, I I don't think, to be honest, after watching those fights, I don't think any of those guys are going to fight anybody within the next two years. But off of what they already done, Tiafimo is definitely the number one guy right now, Tank and Tank being the number two.
0: Because I look at that, and when I look at Devin Haney, for example, like. Even when he was coming up and people were talking about this will be the next Floyd. Remember when he was like 17 and he was sparring at the Mayweather gym and I was never convinced by him. There's something about people who don't take out people they're supposed to take out. Where I'm like, I don't, yeah. I don't know if you've got that real killer instinct that you're going to need. Yeah. And I don't know if
1: Devin and has got that. Yeah. And, he, and also his output wasn't impressive. It wasn't. He wasn't... He wasn't acting like he wanted to get the stoppage or he wanted to beat the man up. He was like, okay, we're staying behind his jab and just scoring short right hands whenever he could, which is fine. And he did throw some big shots and there, but Gamboa... See, one thing I'm noticing about these guys, they're watching these older guys and saying, I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to knock him out because he's old. I'm going to knock him out. But he's still educated. So you have to take the time. You have to be smart. They go, hes He's going in there looking for basic punches. And he, and he's not realizing he's in there with a two-time Olympian gold medalist and a two-time champion. So you're not going to go in there and just, and just hit him upside his head and think it's going to be easy. You know what I'm saying? So these guys got to really educate themselves and they got to really get back to the home board if they really want to be, you know, so called the best, like they say they are.
0: And that's why I quite liked what Teofimo did with Loma. Because he kept the pace high on Lomachenko where he didn't let Loma fight at the pace Loma's used to. He kept Loma permanently uncomfortable until right. until he got tired and then Loma started to find a way in. And to be honest, let's be honest, Gamboa was brought in for Devin Haney to stop him. True. That was a storyline. Yeah. So, so I worry. I genuinely worry. And then you got Ryan Garcia against Luke Campbell, which I think is a very hard fight for Ryan Garcia. And I wouldn't be surprised yeah.
1: if Luke Campbell wins that. Right. Right, I like that fight too. Luke Campbell is definitely sturdy. Um, as far as as far as speed, I think he's like a step a step a step or two behind. But like you said, him being a veteran, he might be able to pull it off because Ryan Garcia has never been in there with somebody like him. You know what I mean? Size wise, and as far as you know, experience. So I think you know what I mean that's definitely a good fight for uh, for the kid, Ryan Garcia. But it's definitely a good fight for Luke, too, because Campbell can make not a name, but he can make he can he can gain position with a win like that because that's a popular kid. That kid is known all over the world already. Yeah, and people
0: forget Luke Campbell's an Olympic gold medalist. Luke Campbell is he's one of the few boxers I've seen who's taken the amateur style and just said, I'm not changing anything, I'm just taking this all the way through. And he's been able to have some success with it. I'm still surprised that he never made it as a world champion because in a world where Robert Easter Jr. was a world champion it's a bit strange that Luke Campbell isn't yeah
1: yeah but then I think when it happens that way it has to do with who you're doing business
0: with 100% and I just don't think he was a he was never an Eddie Hearn priority which is which is a shame because if Hearn had invested in him now Luke Campbell would be one of the main men in the division that there's money to be made and I I think that was just an opportunity missed yeah, that's true. You no. Know, when when they were backing guys like Lee Selby instead. Yeah. So what did you make of the Tank Davis performance then? Because a lot of people say he took unnecessary shots from Santa Cruz before he stopped him.
1: Um, I think what that was about was I know this guy can't hurt me. And I don't want to be disrespectful, but that's that goes to it. And I think with with that fight, that's what Tate was thinking about. I've been in there with bigger guys and stronger guys. This guy can't hurt me.
0: So so the question I'm gonna ask you, I think i ask you this every time, Greg. Where's Tevin Farmer?
1: Um, as of lately, I think he's been running a business and uh enjoying life. I don't know I don't know really too much his training but I hope he get back he gets back soon.
0: Because it's a shame that all of this kind of one thirty 130, one thirty five action has happened, and it's all seemed to yeah. bypass Tevin Farmer. Yeah, he getting He getting He missing out on some big money. <laughs> you remember we spoke? I think it was the last time we spoke, and I said to you, with Tevin Farmer, you will understand how Eddie Hearn works perfectly, because as soon as, right. as soon as Farmer didn't have a belt, as soon as he became a hard fighter to match all of a sudden. And then Eddie was just like, I haven't got time for this. I'm gonna focus on on these guys that either have mandatory positions or have belts. And then Tevin gets put in that
1: that gay Brasado bucket. Yeah, I can see that. And I think a lot of it has to do with Tevin Farmer not being popular as far as he doesn't have the punch that Tank has Tank has. He doesn't have the the you know, the, the fans like uh, Ryan Garcia and then he's not undefeated. So people people were counting him out from the beginning, but to me, he's one of the, the best fighters at this time because you know, what I mean, he fought he fought through crazy adversity and, and 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 was able to gain a title and hold on to it for a little bit. And um I mean, you know, I'm proud of the kid. Uh,
0: I look, I I enjoy watching him box. I, I, his his skills and the way he puts it together. I don't think you can not yeah. teach that. So you watch it and you're impressed. I, sometimes with a guy like him, you want to sit him down and say, you have to take some risks in a fight. You just have to. Yeah, that's true. But when you've got that many defeats, you almost think, I don't, I don't want that feeling again. So you become quite conservative in how you box. Yeah, that's true. But I'd like to see him, and look, even even if they gave him a, like a, a one in a million shot, like against a Burchelt, let him just jump in with a guy like Burchelt, or who whoever wins out of Frampton and Jamel Herring so, something like that a, a big name where you know you can you can have that in Philly Cause I know Frampton's got an attachment to Philadelphia cuz he was there oh which which match show was it when they fought in Philadelphia and I know he was there George Groves was there as well
1: yeah um that that was when Kevin was getting ready to fight uh the Paul guy uh what was my man named the Irish kid uh, TJ uh, Dehenny. Or, yep. John, Is that John name? or John O'Carroll, one of the John O'Carroll, yeah, it was John oh, O'Carroll, I believe.
0: Yes, and I remember Frampton saying he'd love to have a fight in Philadelphia, so I was like, well, you know, there you go. There's an opportunity yeah, that w- there.
1: That would that would be a great fight, Frampton and Farmer. Uh, that would be a great fight.
0: I just remembered, it's a
1: year ago, wasn't it? Because
0: you were at KSI Logan Paul, weren't you? You were in LA for that. Yeah, I was at the uh, press
1: conference and stuff like that. <laughs>
0: You're up there. Was you I was there? out there. Did
1: you spend any time with Shannon Briggs when you were out there? Uh, no, he. I actually didn't even because I was at the first press conference, and I, and I. I don't even remember. I remember seeing him, but he, he just had a lot going on. Nah, he, he he decided to
0: take over. I can't remember who he slapped, but he was definitely. <laughs> he was definitely yeah, but Jack had to step in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, <laughs> that was crazy. That was crazy. And that's probably the last time we saw Gabe Rosado in public.
1: You guys you guys cool again? I mean we good, but you know, you know, he moved on as far as training, he moved on with Freddie, but you know, we 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 cool, you know what I mean? We from Philly and we are gonna be brothers like it or not, you know what I mean? So everything's good. What do you think of the fight with Danny Jacobs? I think that's a great fight, and I think Gabe could do a lot for his career with this win if he if he go in there and apply himself and really be that skill killer that he that he could be, I think he can make a lot happen.
0: How how does he beat Danny Jacobs? You said how would he beat him? Yeah, because D- Danny's a tricky guy in that, it's always like, if you can get to Danny Jacobs mentally, his whole skill set falls apart. I think that was always his problem in the amateurs, because he'd lose to a yeah. like Luis Arias in the amateurs, which is why he never made the Olympics. And so yeah. you you look at him and you go whenever someone's really put the pressure on on Danny Jacobs, he seems to he seems to struggle. I think Gabe's going to have to literally find find a performance he probably hasn't had for a long time and just just really as we say in England, just stick it on him and just let let him yeah. know it's not going to be an easy night.
1: Yeah, he, he I'm going to be real. He has to get to him early. If he gets to him early, then he can he can have one of those fights with with Danny Jacobs. Uh, start questioning himself and you know he'll begin to break down but Gabe has to want to do that
0: What do you think Freddie's going to add to him
1: though? Um I think Freddie's going to more so try to add just dis- a little bit more discipline to his style sometimes Gabe he decisions where it's like you know why did you do that and what was you thinking you know what I mean I think with Freddie Freddie's going to try to do- put him on a straight line and um start making adjustments you know, as the fight goes on, but I think he's gonna want Gabe working behind that jab, keep his hands up high, and make sure you know, he's got good leverage in his legs and he's um, not, not just punching, but you know, solid punching, good, clean punches. You
0: know, one of the things I always respected about Gabe Brasada, I remember there's an interview and he said, Whenever I go on holiday, I take my, my sparring gear with me, I just jump in the ring. Cause I know he came over here yeah. and he did rounds with Anthony Yard when he came over here. And I wow, re- that's nice. Yeah, he just showed up at the gym and Anthony Yard was like, "Yeah, we can work." And then Gabe just 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 threw himself into it. Unfortunately, I missed that session. I couldn't make it in time, but I have a respect for people who do that. Cause I still do that. Like, if I go on holiday, I'll just some some gloves, some wraps, and a mouth guard just just in case I find somewhere interesting. Yeah, that, that,
1: I like I like that because when you get to. The- I mean, it's, it's so much that goes with it because you're showing respect to the, to the to the younger kids. You're showing love to the kids who who hear about you and watch you on TV. But then next thing you know, you pull up to the gym and then you jumping in the ring with one of the best in the world. And then on top of that, it's like it shows what kind of fighter he is. You know what I mean, no matter what he got going on, he's still thinking about boxing.
0: Yeah, no, I, I hope he has one more performance in him, and uh, you know, just put Philly back on the map. I believe. He- I
1: believe he does because Gabe, at the end of the day, he, he, he takes care of his body. He takes his body real good. You know what I mean? He, he's always been active.
0: But he's not a guy with a long amateur career, is he? He was just literally a few fights and then just turned pro.
1: Yeah, Gabe only had uh, about 11 fights, 11 amateur fights.
0: And those were all wins either.
1: No, they wasn't all wins, but, you know what I mean, he... he, he he got a lot of experience from the Philadelphia gyms. You know what I mean? There was a lot of work around. So he was just getting great work with guys like Rasheem Brown, Jamil Blackgold Wilson, Derrick in his innes Farah in Uh We had, I mean, we had a lot of guys. Julio Martinez. We had a lot of guys in Philly at that time. Yusuf Mack, you know, guys who could, who could work and help him. You know what I mean? So he developed in the gyms.
0: Which then, okay, now I've got a question for you. Someone asked me this question, and they said to me, do you need an extensive amateur background to be a good pro? And my, no. so my answer no. was, kind of. And I said, you, you won't be a world champion with no amateur fights, but you can be a world champion with a few of the right amateur fights as long as you've been getting that, that education. And I think... Yeah a place like philly you get it i think the challenge in london is no one likes to work with anyone else like it's only yeah. now like I'm, I'm seeing this new generation and they're just arranging sparring via instagram like the old coaches weren't doing it so these youngsters are just doing it amongst themselves where you know they'll hear that for example when chisora had his camp for right. for usik Kids were just messaging them going, listen, if you got sparring, we're coming down. All the heavyweights were just getting themselves down there to get some work. Because Yeah,
1: that's
0: a great thing. Ah, you know. And I've seen Derek in the gym. Like, he's one of these people where he spars how he fights. He hasn't got got gears. It is all or nothing with Derek. So when you're a young heavyweight, being in the firing line against Derek, you know if you can hold your own, you're halfway there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's actually, you know I mean? That's to him, uh, to Rosa, even, uh, allow guys to pull up on him like, you know what I mean? Because those type of fights are very, uh, specific when it comes to training because, you know, you're getting ready for a special fighter. But at the same time, I think it's smart to do that because when you bring different looks in, it, it prepares you for the, uh, the adjustment part of the fight where you have to, you have to go ahead and make certain decisions on the fly and I think it prepares you when you bring different guys in that you don't know nothing about.
0: Because cause I think Derek's nailed his formula now. I think, you know, he knows he's going to get Brian Jennings in because Brian Jennings knows how to make Derek work, even when Derek doesn't want to work. Those two well, seem like brothers. But he's a Philly guy as well, right? Yes, yes, sir. Yeah. From so, North Philly, yeah. Yeah. So Brian Jennings, is, he's definitely got that. He knows how to bring out the best in Derek, and I've seen them work, like, in person, and... It's it's it, it's it's like watching you know guys like Tim Witherspoon like you know there's there's an intelligence there especially in what Brian Jennings does in how he brings out the right. performance in you and then right. and then they'll bring in some specialist sparring so they've got a couple of Southpaws in to mimic Usyk and then there's another group of guys that get in who just are there to give Derek a hard time and to to yeah. give him something he hasn't seen before like you said just that different look and which seems to have helped Derek it's like the the Renaissance in his career, you know, we we you know we 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 won't put it down to to taking the right vitamins and supplements this time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like I like Chiruza though.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, but but so so you don't think you need an amateur background to succeed?
1: I don't think you need an extensive career amateur career. Now, what I do think is, I think you should experience the national tournaments and stuff like that, but. The great thing about not having a big amateur career is you're gonna be a mystery to a lot of guys. But the bad thing is when it comes when it comes to those big big fights, you know, you're you're gonna be a little gunshot because of the crowd. So So you gotta to try to you gotta to try to get on uh get at least on the level where you get a crowd in front of you.
0: that's how I break down amateur when someone tells me they've had 50 amateur fights my first question is how many tournament fights have you had? right, right because I know some guys they'll tell you that they've had 60, 70 fights I'll say okay how many are tournaments? and they'll tell you 50 and I'm like okay cool so most
1: of your career has been
0: fights where it's been you know there's meaning behind it. it
1: and there's one last thing the reason I said you don't have to have the biggest amateur career because some guys are just naturally fight naturally fighters. Like I got a kid right now who has who has sixteen M fights, but he's already been in the ring with Shakur Stevenson. He's been in the ring with Paul Paul Crow. He's been in the ring with uh with uh Rashim Brown from Philly, who had a, who had a real good amateur career. So this guy, this kid, is is, is able to to compete on that level, but. The one thing I have to pay attention to is how he reacts when we go to this to this big tournament. But he could, off of his mentality, I could turn him pro right now. <laughs>
0: Excuse me. And that's interesting you say that because okay. I always talk about the hardest thing about boxing at a high level. From what I can see, I've never boxed at that world title level. It's it's not what happens in the ring. It's everything that happens outside the ring. In. Can you, right. can you get through that without using any energy? Because I used to watch Mayweather, and in Fight Week, Mayweather would use no energy. Like, he'd say the same things in every press conference. You know, if you ask him a question right. about a fighter, his first answer is, great fighter. He doesn't even think he's a great fighter. You know, he's doing his thing. You know, I wish him all the best. He doesn't think. He doesn't right. engage with it. Whereas young fighters will try and give you the best answer they possibly can, not realizing that's taking energy out.
1: Exactly. That's what.
0: That's what I always say to people on on the way up. I, I, I just give them that advice of find the way to
1: get through this without using any energy. You know, because you know some some guys. I'm sorry, cutting you off, but some guys get naturally naturally excited because you go from fighting in front of local crowds to now you look over in the crowd. And you got Denzel Washington, you got Jay Z, you got Donald Trump. You got you got so many people in the crowd that you never. You know, seen in person, and then now they're here to watch you fight. So I think sometimes they get to the guys. You know what I mean? They get very excited.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. It's almost like that's their victory. Look, I've made it, and then they forget that there's a fight to come on Saturday. <laughs> yep. Which that's I've seen exactly what happened. I've seen that happen before, and then sometimes you get those kids who they'll go through fight week, and people say, "Look at his body mm-hmm. language. He doesn't look enthusiastic. Yeah. He doesn't look interested." And then on fight night, all that energy comes out.
1: Right. That's the smart way to go about it.
0: No, it, it is. and But it is. I think the point you make is true, that that education is important, coupled with you've got to be able to fight. No, no matter how many amateur bouts you have. Like We used to have a guy, he was captain of the, the British boxing team at the 2012 Olympics, a guy called Tom Stalker. Hell of an amateur. But when it came down to being a pro, he just, yeah. you know, some people just don't have the physicality to be a pro. Like, their body can't take the beating. And it's not it's, it's right. no shame. Sometimes maybe your bones are a bit small, your ligaments are a bit not, they're not big enough. You're just, some people just can't take it without getting injured at all.
1: That's true.
0: Because we've got a kid here, we've got a, we've got a light heavyweight here, a guy called Craig Richards. Um, I think he's going to fight for the British title in about three weeks. And what I like about him is he never misses days in the gym. Like he never gets injured. Doesn't get hand injuries, doesn't get elbow, shoulder, nothing. But then he fought a guy called Jake Ball. And this, this Jake Ball guy had done everything. Amateur standout, super talented. Everything on him kept breaking. Jake was a naturally bigger guy, but everything on him kept breaking. And right. So he never got that continuity You know where we just have a six month block Where you can just train and develop He'd just get injured Once a month he'd get injured Yeah I, I,
1: hate, I hate when that happens to guys Because those are usually the hard workers
0: Yes Yeah but I think the problem is boxing rewards consistency Not necessarily hard work Although if you get both then it's perfect So I was going to ask you Jerome Ennis, when does he get a world title shot?
1: Uh, from from my from my from my calculation, I think he'll be ready by the end of 2021 or beginning of 2022.
0: And you got to feel for him, right? Because imagine having to go and get a belt off the current title holders now. Like, yeah. To get a belt, you've either got to beat who's got the belts. You either got to beat Crawford. You got to beat Spence. Crawford spin. Or you've got to be Pacquiao. Yeah. Pacquiao's still got a belt, hasn't he? Pacquiao, yep. yep. Uh, who's got the WBO? Uh, oh, is that the one? I, I really
1: don't know the belt. Yeah, it might be, yeah.
0: That's why I feel sorry for Ennis. In any, look, you, you roll back two years, or you roll forward two years, and Joe and Ennis is a shoe in for winning a belt. But having to take a belt of one of those guys... You know, two of those guys are definite Hall of Famers. I think Pacquiao and Crawford are definite Hall of Famers. And Spence is probably going to get there if he gets a few more wins. That's true.
1: So I'm gonna ask- But the thing yeah, those those guys are getting older. And Anderson is getting better.
0: Now, 100%. Are you going to be watching Kell Brook versus Terence Crawford?
1: Oh, yeah. I'm definitely watching that fight. I'm excited for that fight. I, I, I'm a fan of Kell Brook. And... Um, I just think
0: that's going to be a way better fight than people think. See, I agree because, and I've said this. Kel hasn't taken that much punishment. I know people talk about the the Golovkin fight and the and the Spence fight, fight. but in those fights, he didn't really. If you look at if you look at the the Golovkin fight, what was that? Five rounds, and then to be honest, Spence only put the beating on him from the second half, from about round seven onwards. Kel Kel hasn't taken that much punishment. He's getting to the point where he's taking too much now, but we're hoping he's got that kind of Roberto Duran versus R.M. Barkley performance in him where he can just find the magic that won him him the fight with Sean Porter just one more time against Terence Crawford, but Crawford's a different animal.
1: Crawford is definitely a different animal, but Kel Brook is also. So I think with with the time off Kel Brook had and, you know, he stayed in good shape. This this is going to be a great fight.
0: That's, it's what I'm looking for. I I, I I like Kel. I think I think he he's kind of messed his own career up, but I also think he was poorly promoted as well. He should have he should have probably joined the PBC stable and just been in that mix with Danny, Errol, um, Keith, and the whole gang. He should have been in that mix, even with the, with a Broner, for example. He should have been in that mix.
1: I think I think even though that could be a fact, but he's a big enough name to make these fights happen. So and I honestly think when everything goes back a hundred percent, God should even go over there and fight him. I think you can make more money going over there.
0: Uh, if, that was a, <coughs> excuse me, if that was the first show back in the UK, that'd be crazy. Yeah, that
1: would be crazy.
0: But he still dreams of the Amir Khan fight though, and I, which I don't ever see happening.
1: Yeah, I don't think Amir Khan want to fight him. I think that's what it is. And that's just me taking a guess. I could be wrong, but I think Amir Khan really don't want the trouble with Kel. So,
0: so they're, they're a very interesting story. So when they were kids, I think Kel might be a year or two older, but they boxed in the same national championship together. Amir did 60 kilos and... Kel did sixty four. Both won. They've known each other a long time. And I just think Amir Khan doesn't want to be the guy that makes Kel Brook rich. That's that's his issue. He doesn't want to be the guy that gives him <laughs> payday. <later>. Yeah. <laughs> and that's crazy. It's going to be a great fight, but especially for UK. It would have, but I don't think we care now. I, I I think that the moment for that one's long gone. Like we wanted to see yeah, them when when there were threats when there were legitimate world, world level fighters now we know Amir Khan's more focused on charity work and we know Kel's just looking to cash out before he retires as well which yeah. is a shame yeah it is and then will you be watching the Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. fight? oh yeah i definitely be watching the fight so I two ask- legends going at it <laughs> I want to ask you a question do you think Tyson's done any sparring for this? A little.
1: I, I think he's probably been doing, like, four-rounders.
0: Because it's been a strange one, hasn't it? Because all the Tyson clips are, like, 10 seconds long, and there's been no sparring footage. There's no no guy who's putting his hand up saying, yeah, I've just done some great work with Mike Tyson. So we're thinking, you know, what what preparations happening here?
1: Yeah. I think they just I'm going to be real with you. Tyson is the type of guy he don't really need sparring, only because his only issue has been really his conditioning so if he keeps his conditioning up I think with the with the muscle memory Tyson can go in there and compete I'm not saying he can compete with Tyson Fury but damn sure with Roy Jones
0: but, but isn't that the same true for Roy though because Roy's another one like Tyson's a freak in his own way and
1: Roy's a freak in his own way true but Roy doesn't have the league he used to have and neither does Tyson, but the thing with Tyson, is, his style is more fitted for an older guy. He, I'm going to come get you. I'm going to break you. Um, for Roy Jones, he was, a, he was a guy that used a lot of legs, a lot of flash. And I mean, I believe he still has a touch of it, but the legs are definitely not the same anymore.
0: Now you're right, because when I, when I watch the video, the first thing I look at is their legs. And you, can, you know when you get older, your legs just don't move the same way as they did when you were young. Right. It's like the upper body is half a second ahead of the lower body. And you, you just... Start, right. oh, no, no. So I've been watching Tyson and, and I've been watching Roy as well. And Roy's hands look amazing. But when you look at his legs, you're like, nah, he's not very mobile anymore.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: But and you know, the other sad part is I don't want to watch it because I don't... I don't want to see the veterans do it. But I know I will watch it because... I just have to see what's still in the tank, right? And you want to be able to watch that fight, and you want to be able to say, I, mean, "I can, I can see Mike Tyson in there with a, with a Dominic Brazil, for example."
1: I mean, we would love, we would love something like that, but I think, that they wouldn't be smart.
0: Because I've just been, what would you, I've just been watching Rocky Six, you know, the one with Antonio Tava. <laughs> yeah. And and that, that's all I keep thinking about when I think, you know, <laughs> has Tyson got one more left in him?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, he might, I mean, you never know. I mean, with the right fight, I think a guy like Tarosa would be right for him. Because that's a guy you don't have to go looking for. And I'm not saying he had to look for Dominic Brazil, but Dominic Brazil is very big. So it's like, trying to, get, trying to hit him in his chin won't be hard, but for a guy like Tyson, at this age, it would be.
0: No, 100%. I, I'm. A, I, I just. I, it's one of these things, isn't it? Like when, when you're a fan of something and you just want to see it again, it's like when you, know, you, you see some of these old guys like, uh, what was his name, like a Joe Montana or Dan Marino. And you go, yeah. I wonder how much of that, st- that skill you still keep because the speed goes, but the skills, I don't think you lose your skills. You just lose the timing and you lose the reflexes. Right. Well, 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 it's what you're hoping on your comeback, right? You're hoping that.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm big on skills, but my my problem also has always been conditioning. So, I mean, I'm more of the same. I had to, I had to just push my body. If I push my body. I can go out and perform.
0: Yeah, that's what it is, and that's why we said earlier. That's why you invest in your skills as early as you can. Yeah, you didn't say that. Yeah, yeah we mentioned uh, that. Yeah, you, you have to invest in those skills. And you have to... Because one of the things I've learned is it's hard to learn defense as an adult. And so the younger you are when you learn how to defend yourself in boxing, the better it is for your career. Yep. unless less you get hit, the longer you can last. 100%. Ah, and I've got one last question and I think I sent this question to you earlier. The difference between British boxes and American boxes.
1: Um I I really don't know what it's like over there, but in America you have a lot of uh poor poor folks and a lot of the fighters from, from America are are poor fighters, so they, they fighting for everything. The guys in British British fighters I don't know their situations. I'm pretty sure there's a poor, poor community originally, rich community. But to me, they seem like privileged guys. They seem like guys who, like I said before, are big on being gentlemen. And, you know, they're big on fashion. They get, you know, they get dressed for the press conferences. They get real nice and neat. You know what I mean? And they, um, they're real stylish guys. I just think they big on, like, being gentlemen and being good guys. And, they, and and it's hard to bring that killer that killer out when most of the time you're thinking about being a gentleman, the guys in America, I feel like they just want to make it, so they'll they'll lose an eye if they have to.
0: But you know what it is from this country. I think it's we're, we're understated with it. So like when the Americans come over, and you know it's 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 the it's the noise and it's the energy. Uh, who was it who came over? It was Willie Monroe Jr. For example, came to fight Billy Joe, and you had all of that energy, and you know Brits. We're understated with it because I think our our mindset is the only thing that matters is when the bell goes, right, right. And and so what what, if you look at the amateurs here, you don't get a lot of showing off. Referees will stop you from showboating. They'll stop all the you know you can't do the bolo punches, all that stuff. They don't let happen is because we're really about who's the toughest, this guy or that guy. Don't want to hear the talk. Right. Afterwards, after the fight, say what you want to say. Before the fight, no, 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 no. Don't do anything. So we tend to be understated with it. And that's why... Say it again? Yeah. So we're understated oh, with it. Yeah, which is why when, when, when Brits go over to America, I think they're always surprised that, why are these guys so so reserved and so composed? Right. I think the only time it's really gone over the top has been, well, two occasions... When Fury went over there with Wilder, and yeah. when when Joshua and Jerrell Miller went head to head, yeah, and then that's when you realize that actually, you know, when we need to turn it up, we can turn it up.
1: Yeah, I believe I believe they can, but I believe it's just a mentality thing. If you if you got the right, nah, I'm not saying the coaches over there are right. I'm not saying it, but if you got the guys who, do the old school way, and and I mean and they got your mentality on kill, I think more guys from over there would be, you know, more successful. Because y'all do have some great boxers over there. uh,
0: From my perspective, I think the main difference actually is, in this country, you can arrive from nowhere. And you can become a trainer. So if you remember Ben Davison, the guy that trained Tyson Fury for the first Wilder fight, yeah. Yeah. And he, so imagine the guy shows up at 27 years old and he's given Tyson Fury in one of the biggest fights, you know, in, in British boxing history. And then what, what did Fury do immediately afterwards? He went to Sugar Hill Stewart and said, actually, I need something different for the next Wilder fight. Yeah. Because in this country, you can go a long way by being an analyst that holds pads. You can go a long way in boxing in the United Kingdom. I don't think you can in America because the first question is who did you come up under? Yeah. Yeah, there's always that cool. yeah. I remember I remember spending some time in Gleasons. And listen, <laughs> to to train someone in Gleasons, you had to be someone. Like they weren't just going to let you do that. Right. You know, it was like a cartel. You had to convince them that you'd come from someone that they respected before they would let you do anything in that gym.
1: Yeah, and that's how it used to be. But nowadays, you got guys who are mechanics during the day and then they're trainers at night or they're, you know, they're doctors and, they you know, they're training, picking up boxing. So I think the game is like wide open, but it shows who is who still on the top level because when you look at the difference between that fight the first fight with Fury and the second fight the, the second fight he stepped too wild and, and, and got him out
0: of there and there's a certain amount of experience you need with that so, so when I talk to people about training fighters my rule number one is this it's easy to take a kid from zero to five out of ten most people can do that you just need to know a bit about throwing a jab and moving your feet you can do that to take a fighter from five out of ten to ten out of ten Whew. Yeah. Like, you, you've got to be good then you've got to be lucky enough to get the right person walk through your door and that's then you true. need the experience of you need to get it wrong a few times before you get it right that's one thing I've learned I you know, because people just assume because they'll watch Roger Mayweather or God Rest His Soul and they'll watch Floyd Sr. doing the pad routines and then that's what they put on Instagram and then what happens? they're trying to attract fighters that way but if you ask them about preparing a fighter physically and mentally, they have no clue. That's true. But you know, but after after years of training someone, you realize actually eighty percent of it is just making sure the guys on the on the start line in good shape, mentally and physically. If you can do that, normally they can do the rest.
1: That's true. And I, and it's crazy you say that because. Oh, during the corona, I've actually become better with recognizing who really wants it and who doesn't. So it's made my team
0: tighter. 100%. That's, that's the important thing. And I think that's something that's hard to learn in boxing. It's something I picked up in my working life, is how to, how to know who's hungry. Like Everyone tells you they're hungry until you put them under pressure. And then they realize, nah, this isn't for me. So I, I, no. that's why, like, if I train people, it's it's high-intensity training. I'll give you enough recovery time that you can recover from it, but the hour, an hour and a half we're together, no mercy. Like, there, none of this, my hand hurts. No, you've, you've just got to do the workout. Get from A to B, and then the rest will look after you. Right. That's true. Name I wanted to ask you about because I know you get about in Philly. There's a young lady called Camille James, right? Yeah. And I hear that that's the that's the next Clarissa Shields. Like this is the next young lady who's going to dominate.
1: Yeah. Have you have you seen she works. Her? Hmm? Yeah, she she actually trains at my gym now. Her her trainer, uh, Rashim Jackson, he moved to my gym. So she, what I've been able to see is she's willing to do whatever it takes and. She's in the gym every day and she spars whoever her trainer asks to the spar. So, in this short bit of time, I've seen her work with pros and other top amateur females, and she, she has no problem holding her own. And
0: she's young, what, she's 16, 17?
1: Yeah, she's 16.
0: Wow. Now, that's impressive because we've got a young lady here called Caroline Dubois, so Daniel Dubois' younger sister. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, but but his sister is, what's she? She's a lightweight. She boxes a lightweight. And she might be the most skillful person I've seen in the flesh. Can do everything. Yeah. Wow. So I think they'll push her through for the Olympics next year. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if she gets a gold. Yeah, I am I look forward to seeing her fight. Ah, yeah, she, she's classy. She's young. She's young, she's hungry, and she's from the right family. So all those all those Dubois kids train together. The dad's very, he's very big on that. They all train together, and they, they, they lift each other up. I like that. Nah, but yeah, no, no it's, a, it is, it's it's an interesting time. So if you've got time this weekend, I don't know if it's going to be on ESPN. I think it is. A young, a young man that I know really well, a kid called Denzel Bentley, will be fighting for the British title. and Oh, okay. That will be a good fight to watch because he's fighting a guy called Mark Heffron. And they fought, they fought earlier this year uh, in the summer. And it was a draw, controversial draw. But I think whether it's good or bad, I don't know. But it, it represents what British boxing is because you've got the kid in Denzel who has power for days. He might be the hardest-hitting middleweight Oh, he must be one of the hardest-hitting middleweights in the world, and he doesn't even punch properly yet. Wow. I remember, I, 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 so I trained him. During the lockdown, I trained him, and he managed to dislocate my wrist, and it took me months to get it back in. Wow. Yeah, just, just yeah. heavy-handed, and once he learns how to put the knuckles in on every shot... Ooh.
1: Very dangerous.
0: <laughs> but those guys always are. You know when you know when you've got power, you can get lazy with the technique because you're in your in your head. You're like, I just need to land.
1: Right, that's true. That's the most power puncher think. They they'll slap you if they if they can and they think that they're supposed to get results. But the higher you go up in competition, those guys you start to realize those guys ain't going for it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then, so w- the message I keep saying to him is just focus on landing with the knuckles. Don't worry about the power. Land with the knuckles and you'll find people start falling over.
1: <laughs> That's true. It,
0: it is because there's nothing worse than being, you know when someone someone's just all knuckles, all their punches are knuckle punches. And sometimes you start looking at the clock going, how many more, how many seconds have I got left of this?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that but look, I just realised we're an hour and a half in, so I don't wanna take up too much more of your time, Greg, man. As always, you know, thank you. This it's this is part three. Uh, I think this will do more numbers no. than part one and two. And I can like I always tell you, the the British fans are getting more and more interested in who this guy Greg Hackett is. So No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, it's coming. Don't say that. Yeah, no, no, no. You know uh, you're you're one of the, the more sensible voices on boxing, which I, which I respect and enjoy. So, uh, once again, thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Right. And we'll speak soon, okay? My man. Right, take care. Uh, and so, there you have the wonderful Greg Hackett, one of my favorite people in boxing. And if you've tracked the journey from when we first did our episode to now, he's, he's come on leaps and bounds. You're seeing him more and more on social media. He's working with guys who are now moving up the rankings. So he's got some special talents like Paul Kroll that he works with, Stephen Fulton that he works with. And I think that's just the beginning. So please, as I said before, follow him at GregHackett86. Follow us at, at Highfield Boxing. That's Instagram and Twitter. And the most important thing, share this episode. Make sure people know that. This is the best platform. If you want the truth, if you want the, the no lies and no, no BS aspects of boxing, this is where you come. Don't, don't just hide it and say, this is my little secret and I'm not going to let other people know. Just spread it because the louder we become, the more people want to hear the truth. And as always, guys, take care. Thank you very much and have a great day.